And being an educator, I find myself frequently depressed about what seems to me to be a change in education. When I went to college, I, you know, I just went to see what college would have to offer. I would take my classes and get excited about things that I had never heard of before or thought of. And, you know, I developed a love of literature, a love of, of philosophy. There was all this fascinating stuff out there, right? And it wasn't aimed at, you know, how will this get me a job that will get me promoted, that will get me, to, right? It closes off the possibility. It doesn't even suggest to people, well, find something you're passionate about and then develop that. Or it doesn't ask you to be kind of self-exploratory. You, you know, you think you know what you want and you go for it and then it's not what you want. And, and that, I think, can create a, a crisis of meaning. So what I would like is to be able to turn the public discourse around from that and, you know, kind of encourage people to step back and, and ask questions about what would make my life worth living earlier in the day and approach their opportunities in that spirit. All right. So we're, uh, we're doing part two or episode two rather of the, uh, Susan Wolf appreciation series. I don't know exactly what we're going to be calling it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, okay, we're continuing to move through her moral philosophy, and um, <clears throat> and we're doing a, a an essay of hers called "Moral Obligations and Social Commands." So, I guess what I'm going to do to start out the episode from now on, presumably, is um, is I'm going to read like the the first part of um, the reading response that I have to do for class on this, and basically, it's just supposed to be like a, an idea of how I'm summarizing the paper. Like this is, this is how I read it. So, you know, I think implied there's the fact that I could obviously be wrong in even how I'm reading what Wolf's doing. So, <clears throat> all right, I'll, I'll read this. And then I guess we can just like get started. All right. So the way I'm reading Wolf here is that she's aiming to better understand and defend a distinction between moral obligation on the one hand and mere moral goodness on the other hand. So she's going to say that an obligation of any kind seems to issue from someone rather than no one. And from this, it can be asked just who issues moral obligations. So she dismisses, first of all, rightly in my view, any obvious or overt divine command theory of, of obligation. And then she moves to softly defending a social command theory, which is saying that things can be obligatory because society demands them of its members. So first, Wolf eliminates the plausibility of living without obligations, saying this would lack certain strengths, namely the ability to put more serious pressure on recipients, distinguishing between obligatory and desirable, and somewhat implicitly suggesting that commands are clearer or more easily obeyed than mere considerations or motivations. Next, Wolf eliminates two non-command theories of obligation. First, a hypothetical imperatives account, which is just saying, like, if you want to be more moral, then do action X. Uh, and she dismisses that for being too weak or too instrumental. Uh, she thinks that we want to have our moral obligations uh, have more than just an if-then structure. Although I take it that that's fine for merely good acts. Uh, secondly, she dismisses a reasons-based view of obligation for being one, epistemically cloudy, two, unclear about standing to sanction, three, analogous to non-blameworthiness in non-moral cases, four, 
unclear on social expectations, and five, clashing with intuition. There are clear cases, she says, wherein decisive reasons and moral obligation do not, uh, are not the same thing. They're not commensurate. <clears throat> so, therefore, Wolf settles on a social command theory for its clarity and power towards blaming to reform. She implores us to recall that we are not defending the content of any moral theory, rather the form which obligations take in any given one. So that's kind of how I would summarize what Wolf is doing in this. Obviously, that's kind of a mouthful, to say the least. Um, but like, I don't know. Okay, first of all, what'd you guys think of this paper in general? I thought I had the hopeful suspicion that Giffen, you would like it based on the like social command theory aspect of it. I, I For whatever reason, I thought that was something you might be interested in. No, you were basically correct. I did like this um, paper mm -hmm. a lot, actually. Um, she anticipated some of my comments and then like, um other times like i had it like a question about something that she was saying that was a questionable and that she addressed it afterwards mm. so um it, it was a good it was a good paper i really enjoyed it um the only th thing is i i felt like a little bit um about like two-thirds of the way in um <laughs> there was a moment where i was like ah come on susan <laughs> like i feel like i was teased a bit um yeah. I, obviously i understand the structure of the paper like it might have been like limited intentionally but like mm. I, I i don't know if it's worth uh, me saying in detail but i'll at least say it generally like she kind of says like at the beginning like here are some major objections to like such a social command theory and then later she says these i will not address and i'm like oh come <laughs> on although every otherwise it was i thought it was really really good paper yeah yeah she definitely dismisses some things as being like um either not within the scope of the paper or just like she, you know, she just says something like, I just can't address everything. So these are going to be yeah. things that I like choose not to address. Yeah. And it's understandable, <clears throat> but like, I, yeah. I thought the framing at the beginning kind of made me anticipate mm. an address of those things. And instead it was like, I will not be addressing it like two thirds of the way. And I was like, Oh, that's a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, she at one point was like, maybe another author will. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I understand it. Like you have to, pick your battles but that was a yeah. minor disappointment in what was otherwise a pretty interesting read you, you know what's interesting too is like I, I didn't have this feeling at all when we were discussing when we talked about asymmetrical freedom and the importance of having free will i honestly didn't have this feeling which makes me think that it's some fault of mine but like i'll read so the last two papers i've i've read them and i've loved them but then i i almost feel like her kind of her conclusion is like within grasp but it's kind of like hazy to me but in a way that i feel like is almost my fault i don't know do you get like it well i think i was the least <clears throat> thrilled about wolf's previous papers that we read so mm -hmm. i think that actually maps onto what i kind of felt like i thought it was introducing pretty interesting topics um yeah, it was definitely worth discussing but like i in terms of like hard conclusions they were either they either felt like limited by like framing or mm -hmm. um were just like I was not fully clear on, which again, that definitely could be, you know, my fault. <laughs> I, well, um, I th but... like the earlier papers, I, I will say, I thought those opened it up to almost like new areas of philosophy for like future people to kind of hop on board and kind of do some of the work there. I thought like she did like a really, really good job of just kind of reframing questions or how to approach these things. Um, you know, yeah, I actually, no, absolutely. I, I'm going to be honest though. I wasn't the biggest fan of this paper. I, I didn't like, and you know, maybe you hope to provide me with some of the verbiage here, but mm. I definitely had, 
I didn't like that she didn't make some like clear distinctions that came to my mind. I don't know. Maybe I mm. could be wrong, but like, I don't know why she was. Okay, so here I'll, I'll lay off some facts here. And wait, wait, real wrong. quick, some can hard I say, facts. Can I say? Well, no, maybe thing? not hard facts, but go ahead. <laughs> I think it's actually worth mentioning that this this episode and from now on we're we're recording before I have class. Yes. So this is going to take like much more. I, I'm assuming that these are going to take a bit more of an exploratory view than last time. Yes. Last time the problem yes. is like it wasn't a problem, but I I almost like had many of the answers in hand, and this is more about mm. like trying to. So okay, I just want to discover them. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah very good yeah. point, actually. Yeah, yeah, but so she acknowledges the fact that at least, like, from like a social perspective, like a social command theory in this sense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're gonna have like different societies that we're a part of, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we we could be kind of like you can almost imagine like a Venn diagram where you're kind of like situated in the middle of like several different societies and those might have different values. And it's like, I, I really, I do think it's very, very reasonable to align yourself with one society over another. Like, and you know, for example, like, okay, we're all in the United States, but we don't expect everyone within the United States to hold our values. And we don't hold the values of the United States. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) In reality, like communist alert. Yeah, it's like it's like we we expect we have certain social groups that we're a part of that are you know to varying mm-hmm. sizes that we kind of like expect. What is what is the uh, term she uses? Like moral directives? Is that what it is? Or um, what was the term? Are you talking about obligations it's, in general? Or no, it's the term that she says. Like it's a compelling reason. To, oh, decisive uh, moral reasons. Decisive moral reasons. Yeah, just I, I would, I would expect certain decisive moral reasons out of certain groups that I'm in. You know what I mean? Like, for example, like her SUV example. Hmm. Like when I was reading through that, she was like, okay. So when you know, just a little background for whoever is listening, but she says like, okay, there are certain people in her life that drive an SUV, mm-hmm. and it's a gas guzzler. And it's, and it's also it's, less it's, safe for other people on the road, including pedestrians. Yeah. Including and you and, and yourself. Yeah. So, I, I was surprised yeah. to hear that. Yeah, so I actually did hear that before. It's like a wildly inefficient vehicle unless you have a specific purpose, which is exactly what she mentioned. But anyways. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. So it's like it's it's less safe for the driver, for pedestrians, <laughs> for the road, for the environment. So all around, like there are good moral reasons decisive not to in buy. fact she said decisive yes. moral reasons not to buy the car right mm. okay fine but then she raises an interesting point asking like okay is it an immoral act mm. and, I, and i you know in at large i kind of agree with her like you know i'm not i'm not sure it's immoral but then i kind of like reduce it to a smaller social group like say like you know someone i consider to be you know um I don't know, philosophically sound or someone who's well-educated and they're well aware of those things. Right. Mm. Well, now it starts to seem a little more immoral to me, actually. I might even begin to start placing it into that because it's like, it's, it's not, I'm not looking at society at large and some of these reasons might not be available to the average person because society doesn't expect that you're not Mm. obliged by society, but you're certainly obliged by, you know, 
your your peers or you know people that you know you spend time with or associate mm-hmm. with i don't know i mean am, am i off base here i i completely well i somewhat agree but i like whenever i read that over and she said like i do not like straightforwardly uh, let me pull it up she says like i do not believe that it is immoral they are under no obligation to choose a smaller car so that like establishes not only like her views mm-hmm. on like um the the suv situation but also mm-hmm. like the relationship between the word immoral which i don't even know if she uses that like before this example specifically the word immoral yeah um, and like the oblig like lack of obligation um maybe it was just like highlighted as an example here more um memorably than it like she introduced the topic previously in the paper but like it's my inf- my first impression of that was like I-, I think it probably like is immoral um yeah like, she's she's like, using I was like this is an example where she articulates exact like reasons like it's almost unfathomable and she says like even this the subset of people who do not use it for its intended like most efficient purpose hmm. so it's it's like pretty well defined as like a group of people and it seemed immoral to me like that was my gut reaction but overall like i thought it was a good paper nonetheless because it made me think about it but, um, but she but like, she does raise a good point though that like at the societal level mm-hmm. like that's not yeah. a societal expectation or obligation for you to you know choose one car over the other right mm-hmm. but like certainly but is it in conflict local... with some of our stated values as a society so this kind of weaves into like the point she I, well, think it's well, later. I thought adam oh, was making a slightly different point in that oh. like adam like i heard your point as almost like kind of um you were making a point about like the scope of society almost like yeah, we inhabit hundred percent yeah yeah like we like we inhabit like m- many different societies to many different degrees but yes. those societies can be like within other ones to the to yes. the point where like okay so you're saying like okay so you obviously belong to like the society of the United States but within that you also belong to a much more specific society of like you know educated roughly middle class or like potential to enter the upper middle class kind of like you know what i mean like that exactly group of people. exactly yeah. and you're saying for like and you also occupy like a subset that overlaps largely with that which is like people who are concerned about and think about moral considerations so it's yes, like exactly so like given that you occupy that one thing could be an obligation within that but not within like the group of the United States as a whole. For exactly. Exactly. Yeah, okay. my yeah, point. Exactly. Point. My point is <clears throat> so I, I wanted her to break down <clears throat> that a little bit more because I'm like, <clears throat> I felt like some of the objections that she was like, ah, oh, we're not going to dive into here. It's like, those could be solved by that, by this distinction of how we yeah. define society. Well, like, she raised so, the point that she's not sure if it could be, I think, um, well, right. can I, so, okay, here's my question then, because like, Adam, I totally, like, I, I understand your point and I agree with it. The, okay. Uh, so here's a question. I, I was reading this, this section and this example as, and this, I'm not exactly clear on this. I, I was reading this as here's a, supposed to be an intuitive example of why moral obligation can be decoupled from decisive moral reasoning. Mm. And then the question for me is, okay, how does that then fit into her social command theory? Because they totally agree. And I'm saying they're not necessarily decoupled. They can be. They can be. Okay. And I, I totally example, they can be. Exactly. Okay. They, okay. But they're not necessarily decoupled. 
Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They're not. Well, they're, yeah. So they're not. Well, she says that too. She says they're not yeah, necessarily yeah. decoupled, but they can. Agreed. Be. agreed okay, agreed. but they, they can, can be. be. And I'm saying, you think this example wasn't one that demonstrated that very well? No, I think it did demonstrate it very well on a oh. certain societal level. But I'm yeah, saying, yeah, like, yeah. I'm saying, I, I wish she would have said, like, okay, but this yeah. exact same example might, in fact, not be decoupled. Like yes. depending, depending on, on depending okay. on the society that we define, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I don't know. What do we What do we think of that? I did. it was one of the things I wish you explored more. She says like this is an interesting, you know, objection, and I hope <laughs> another author will th- tackle it. And I'm like, okay. You know what's funny is I <clears throat> I think I told you guys this off air, but like the reading response is two parts, right? And they're roughly like two, 200 to 250 words each. It's supposed yeah. to be like, okay, summarize Wolf's point and then raise an objection to it. And the objection that I raised was very similar to what you said, Adam, but like a little bit different. Um, and I even, and I even said like in the reading response and like, I genuinely think this, I don't understand to what degree this is actually an objection or if this is saying like, I kind of agree with you, but be more specific. It's like, I don't know exactly where it falls, but I I was thinking something along the lines of what you said, Adam, where Wolf, in my mind, kind of glosses over distinctions or like she, she doesn't mention like abilities at all. Like abilities don't come up in this text at all. And I was thinking like, okay, like d- doesn't an obligation, don't, like when you have an obligation to do something, that is like, it kind of has to be like within your ability, like reasonably all things considered to do that thing, right? Like the reason why I might have an obligation to, um, to not purchase an SUV is because there are like very like reasonable alternatives, right? Even alternatives that make like more sense. Right. But, but if I were in, like she even, she even kind of like, she, she like very loosely talks about this, but she mentions like, you know, if you lived in, you know, I, I don't know a good, like, you know, if you lived in like um, Switzerland, right? Like then you actually might have like a decisive, like that, then, then you might not have decisive moral reasons for not owning an SUV, given that like you may need a vehicle that's really good in snow or something like that. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so, okay. It's like, I, I almost wonder like, okay, when your abilities change, um, that is actually like what moves things from merely good to obligatory uh like that like i'm almost wondering if like Mm. i'm almost wondering if like she's kind of she's kind of like talking about it at too high a level in some sense almost like okay like the reason why societal obligations could be commanded is because like you do have the um like I don't know a better word for it, but like a reasonable ability to do something, right? Like, yeah. is this like an ought implies can kind of? You're trying to wrap in here. Uh, yes. Which, to be fair, I actually don't know at all what I think about that because, on another hand, like that. Well, this is a topic for another time, but like, okay. On the other hand, I also think like, uh, ought does not imply can in like a potential sense, but like, a, 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 okay, th- yeah. I was just kind of curious if that's what step. you were yeah. trying to bring in because that's what it sounded like. But yeah, I also I, had the same thing about like the practicality is kind of like the note I made. It's like, yeah, it is not mentioned at all. And you think that would, it would have some sort of like relationship to an obligation in particular because it involves punishment in this framework, right? Like yeah. someone's like, if, if you can kind of say like blanket wise, like you shouldn't own an SUV. Like if, if you're disabled in this and like live in a snowy area, like what are you going to do? 
Um, so, so this is where I saw like real. Okay, actually, this is worth one of you looking up. Can you look up when this paper was published? Moral obligations and social commands. Because I'm I'm curious because I see like real echoes of moral saints showing up in this, and I know mm. moral saints was her first paper in like moral philosophy. Um, right. When when was this uh, first published? I'm looking that up right now. Uh, yeah. What I'm looking at says 2014. That seems. I mean, that's plausible. That Wait, plausible? that that I I thought that the, this is a chapter. The, I'm sorry, this is a chapter from a book that was published. The book that I'm holding that you got the scan from. Yeah. So yes, it's. It, so I don't think any of these are original. 2009 okay. in field okay. papers. It says. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay that makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because I see. I saw like a lot of echoes of moral saints in this paper. Um. Mm, so did I. Yeah, in the sense that, like, so so when she kind of decouples uh, decisive moral reasons from obligations, that came back to her, like, plurality of values thing, where, like, rationally and morally, you could have decisive reasons to do something, but then for other values that you hold, not do it. Um, yeah, I noticed that, too. Yeah, like, I, like, this... <laughs> it make, makes, this paper makes more sense in, in the context of having read um, Moral mm -hmm. Saints previously. So, I mean, I guess that's just, like, a brilliant framing from, like, your course <laughs> um yeah but yeah no it, i mean that adds a lot of important context because yeah. you see a lot of consistencies and like you can fill in some of the answers that aren't specifically raised by wolf because like i so i was thinking because her example i was like you know grinning like you know riley while i was reading her example because in a lot of ways like she's directly talking about me in a lot of ways in that example because it's like okay you because you, you you know I have like the like the eighties BMW right so there's like okay are there decisive reasons not to drive that car <laughs> yes like actually yes it's not it's not as fuel efficient as a newer car could be it doesn't have airbags so it's certainly not like not as safe for me it doesn't have you know ABS or or anything like that so it's way more dangerous for like the people around me on the road <laughs> right so it's like uh, well that's why you moved to Texas right so that your society <laughs> doesn't view that as an obligation yeah I'm like one the dude the people who drive here like in like off the chain <laughs> they're they're like they're they're mad drivers here um given your situation though you can easily parse as, as being reasonable because it, it's just like number one you didn't buy the car right like you're not but given that i could easily sell it <laughs> and then like it's like i do actually think i have decisive moral reasons because i could sell it to someone who's just like a collector or whatever right so it wouldn't be on the road i would get more money than it would cost to buy a newer more fuel efficient more safe you know just corolla or whatever right so no i actually do think there are decisive moral reasons but i just value the car like because I spent so much time working on it, because it was my dad's before mine, like because I just aesthetically like it. You know what I mean? It's like all these yeah. other reasons. Sure. No, so, I, okay. I agree with your assessment, Jordan. And, you know, I think we all have something like that. So sure, it's like, of course. So it's like, okay, honestly, though, do I have an obligation to like, I, I, so like what I'm thinking about here is like, okay, like, do I have an obligation actually to do that, that I'm just ignoring or do i not have an obligation um because like so right oh. oh i'm sorry like the, the reason i'm asking is maybe i missed it but doesn't she she's just like when she decouples moral obligations from decisive moral reasons is that anything more than just she says it's like it strikes us as intuitive yes yes i and, and, and like and let me let me kind of like take your example and go a little further with it here so like 
say you ultimately become like a professor at some top university, right? And <laughs> don't tempt me like, with the dream. <laughs> but but let's let, let, let's just say, okay? Yeah, yeah, and, it, yeah. All... and then they find out that you drive a BMW from the <laughs> No, no, no. It, not, coupled nothing, from the community. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing is said to you, but so you're still driving like a car akin to that, but everybody else like in the department mm. is like hyper conscious of like their effect on the environment. Mm. And like you're just, you just drive a gas guzzler. Mm -hmm. Like would like do you think it would be fair on their part to say like like you know you're you're obligated as like a member of like the hyper conscious in this sense mm. to recognize that you shouldn't be driving a car like that? This is why I actually thought that the underlying mechanism of obligation was ability, not not merely like social group or whatever, or, or um, um, society, like the, the mini society that you're in, because it's like, okay, because I don't think that she's wrong to be like, okay, the social commands are issued from the society, but it's like, the question is why they're issued, because I think I think the answer to your question could be yes, but it's not merely because I like surround myself with different people. Like presumably it's because I would have, you know, a professor's salary or whatever, which is not crazy, but it's going to be like way more than I have now as a grad sure. student. Right. So it's sure. like. So I'm almost wondering if like actually like the your abilities are like the mechanism that is creating the societal command or like the the um or at least commands are conscious of it or responsive to like, ability. Yeah, like that's what's driving them in some sense. It's true. I, I definitely understand your point, but like maybe parse it out for me a little more like in your, yeah. your, your current situation, like mm -hmm. like or at least your earlier situation when you were driving that car, like you had the ability to have a different car, right? Yeah, like, yeah. or, you know, or just, let, car. yeah, oh. it might be easier to tweak the example a little bit and pretend like my car is actually not worth good money because it's like yeah. rare or whatever. Pretend yeah. it's like, it's an old, inefficient, unsafe car, but I can't sell it for anything. So it's like, I don't have that out. Right. Um, so I would need like a lot more money in order to do kind of like the thing that I had decisive moral reasons to do. Um, okay. Like if you take me from a, so, okay. Say I live in a society of like, it's kind of a, a lower class society. Maybe it's like kind of, you know, like urban suburban and people have just like many old cars that fit that description. And people are also like, you know, not wealthy enough in that area to actually do what they have decisive moral reasons to do. Okay. It seems like on Wolf's account and matching our intuitions that I don't have an obligation then to... Yeah, I agree. Okay. I'm nice. sorry. Can you repeat that example? I, I was writing something down. Okay. But basically, Giffen, I was just saying like, pretend my car wasn't worth a good bit of money if I were to sell yeah. it. Okay. So it's just like an old, inefficient, cheap car or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I live in a society that everyone has that, right? Yeah. Okay. On Wolf's account and ours, it seems like I don't have an obligation to to sell that car and upgrade right but the weird thing is that it seems kind of odd to me to say like i do okay so that's at day whatever the next day i am i am accepted into a grad program that does not pay me any more money but suddenly i'm surrounded by like very different people in yeah. a very different and i move you know what i mean like i move to a different part of that town or a different city whatever right or different country whatever so i'm in a different society in mm -hmm. in almost every respect but like nothing about my circumstances with respect to my ability to change cars has changed 
it feels weird to say like now I'm suddenly under an obligation based on the societal command, given that like nothing else has changed. Right. I, I almost feel like the obligation grows stronger as I'm like, maybe, I don't know, like in that community more to the point where like other options open for me. I, I don't know. Like, I, again, that's just an intuition that I have, but it seems weird. It's a good that, example. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that does seem unintuitive. Um, although frankly, I would say it's like before reading this, um, when I interrogated um, the concept a little bit more um, mm. strictly, I probably would have said that like in the example where kind of everyone's doing it, it may still be a moral obligation that just everyone's failing. Um, yeah. It's like, who's obligating you? It's like, is it society? Like who is, who again, is, who, like who is commanding? Cause that? remember she dismisses, she, she, well not dismisses, but she doesn't yeah. find, um, she doesn't align with a no command theory of obligation. Right. Yeah, for reasons that I guess we could actually talk about. Like, I think those are interesting. But like, because I mean, what if I recall, there's really only three kind of considerations she she discusses. There's a command theory, which she yep. rightly dismisses a divine command theory off, right? And then she then she examines, okay, well, what would a no command theory look like? And she doesn't find that satisfactory. So then she goes back to, okay, well, it's got to be a command theory of a different type and then she settles on like the social command theory right can we can we actually explore again uh the no command theory because i'm yeah. still, kind of, I'm still yeah. kind of partial to giffen's idea of the no command theory like i yeah. i still i still like the idea of like if you value this in this case like the environment's mm. health then you should not buy a gas guzzler like the, so you're obligated yeah exactly so like you know for the sake of you know acting in accordance with your values hmm. you shouldn't buy it so like that's that's in the in the sense that you're obligated. yeah, yeah so, that was a little bit I, more um, of my intuition going in yeah yeah mm. me too actually that was my intuition no. so i kind of want to i so i kind of want to explore that more I, yeah, actually, no, I agree no yeah. i totally agree because i literally wrote the paragraph that precedes where she talks about the hypotheticals i literally wrote a note that says like when i say you must read borges like i mean that if you want to be like a wise person or a deep thinker then that's something that you should do and it's like a conditional and then the very next paragraph she discusses that and i was like well like again just wolf has like an uncanny ability to follow like the reader's mind it's amazing actually yeah, yeah so she, she absolutely does so let's let's go there because that's that's hey, real, still real where i'm situated ultimately yeah i so i agree we should do that can i say real quick though um like this this was more of like kind of a table setting remark but i think it's good to clarify for the readers like the, the whole reason why because we've already explained well i think how, why she decouples um the concept of obligation versus decisive moral reasons. But I think also for like the listeners, it's good to clarify that the reason she's investigating, like what should ground obligation in the first place is because she values obligation in general, right? Like she thinks, she thinks that she says, um, there are good reasons that is for wanting our moral and ethical frameworks to contain a distinction between obligatory and the morally desirable reasons that have been pointed out, for example, by Thomas Hobbes and John Stuart Mill. So because so basically, she's just like aligning with this like intuition that I totally agree with, where it's saying like, okay, I'm not sure what our moral theory is yet, but I do know that there are good reasons to desire that there be a robust distinction between obligation and uh, morally good things like in general. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. A very good note. I thought that was just important to talk about. Yeah. So okay. Especially before discussing, you know, the no command. So exactly, you know, yes. before we all jump yes. on board and we're yes. like, yeah, yes. why what, what's her issue with this? It's like, <laughs> well, she doesn't really get into much of it, like her issue specifically, but like mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. she does preface saying, like, I do want to preserve commands. Yes. Yeah, and, that's I, true. And, I should, and I should say, like, the the way that the paper is structured is pretty intuitive as well, because she says, like, okay, well, when you hear about like something being an obligation, like the natural question is sort of like, where does that that obligation like issue from and the oldest answer well at least one of the oldest answers has been divine command theory like you must do something because god says so and she takes that down in like a paragraph right it's a bad theory yeah. um and so okay so then then she moves to saying like hmm, okay well this like historically uh influential theory has been knocked down so okay well what if we go to a no command theory and that's where we're like that's where we're talking about now um, yeah, I actually love the opening of this section as well. <laughs> I was, it was very humorous. So what? she says, to be frank, I think that much of the time we don't really know what we're saying. <laughs> I just thought that was like a very, very it kind of true. funny, lighthearted yeah. way to introduce it. Um, and it's relevant to um, which page are we looking at? Okay, is it eight? This six? is 238. Oh, two, mm. oh, shit. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it, it, I'm, I'm talking about the pages in the actual book that I scanned. Six of 24 is what I have in front of me. Did I? That doesn't sound well, wrong. <laughs> but... Okay, yeah, I'm there. Thanks, Yeah. Are there okay, I was on, the, on the things creative. that I scanned, are there on the top left or top right? Are there page numbers that you guys can see or no? Uh it doesn't did matter. You, did you scan this? I don't see page numbers. I only really? see I, I actually I think, scan scan it. I think I think you just sent us a PDF. Yeah, I, I, I know I, say, I scanned that. That was what I scanned. Dude. That's super weird. This looks so so much better than it if you scanned it. Are you sure? No. Well, well, there's this like really um fancy scanner at the at the university where you actually just lay the book down and it like it nothing closes on top of it. It's just like an actual like camera of some sort that oh. just like looks at it and then it synthesizes. I guess like the uh... yeah. Well, it was spectacular because it looks like a document that was prepared exclusively digitally, but there is yeah, no I, corner I numbers. Yeah. Oh wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> I actually no no you're right you know what I did <laughs> I did that for the next reading okay the one that I oh, okay. sent you was just yeah <laughs> I was I'm gonna sorry. say they have some like voodoo going on no 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 the, don't worry the next one will be shitty as always <laughs> <laughs> thank God yeah I was gonna say I've never seen a book no, scan this no, well I'm sorry no. I was really about to question my own reality about technology. <laughs> no, it's, it's nothing. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm be susceptible to, the... to being fooled in a supreme degree if that <laughs> is just scanned uh, manually. No, it'll, it'll be back to the minds for next week. Okay. All right. All right. So let's let, let's go through this section again yeah. so I understand it better. Mm. So do you want me to read? Please. All right. Let me actually zoom in so I'm not just guessing the words here. <laughs> all right. Okay, so no command theories of obligation. To be frank, I think that much of the time, we don't really know what we're saying. Often we want simply to urge someone or some group to behave in a particular way. We are not focusing on the question of whether we think the action is required or morally or merely desirable. As I mentioned before, we speak loosely and freely, and there is nothing wrong with that. But if we use such words as wrong, and morally required loosely, 
We should not draw implications from them that would be warranted only if the words are used in a stricter, more careful way. What can the stricter, more careful use of such words as wrong, morally required, and morally obligatory be? Okay, so if the distinction between what is required and what is good, but not required, that these words mark out is to serve the purposes I earlier mentioned. It must be associated with the distinction between the amount or kind of pressure it can be appropriate to exert in the interest of achieving conformity to certain rules or patterns of behavior. Okay, that's that's an important line right there. Mm. So uh, John Stuart Mill seems to have hit the nail on the head when he wrote, we do not call anything wrong unless we mean to imply that a person ought to be punished in some way or other for doing it, if not by law, by the opinion of his fellow creatures, if not by opinion, by the reproaches of his own conscience. It is part of the notion of duty in every one of its forms that a person may rightfully be compelled to fulfill it. Hmm. Duty is a thing which may be exacted from a person as one exacts a debt. So then he goes on to say, there are other things which we wish that people should do, which we would like or admire them for doing, perhaps dislike or despise them for not doing, but yet admit that they are not bound to do. It is not a case of moral obligation. We do not blame them, that is. We do not think that they are proper objects of punishment, as you defined earlier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so that... So, okay, a little bit later on in that page, she says, so so that she's like kind of re-upped the distinction there between uh, obligation and then what is called like supererogatory or just like kind of like um, acts that you do that you are not required to do, but that are good anyway. Like you're kind of going above and beyond. Um, she says, okay, we now want to consider whether a sense can be given to this claim that does not rely on any sort of commander. So like, you know, I kind of, I introduced that like, well, it implies a commander, but what if we don't want to have that? We want, in other words, to consider the possibility of a no command theory of obligation. Okay. So in the next paragraph, she does that thing that I mentioned in the very beginning where she bypasses questions about the content of the moral system. So she's saying like, okay, let's not quibble between like consequentialism and Kantianism, whatever, right? Like, let's just actually talk about like, okay, could we have obligations under a no command theory of uh, of morality so she 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 makes like okay so she makes so this is getting into the hypothetical imperative so she makes like these connections to non-moral um areas of life like etiquette for instance she says like etiquette could require us to pass the port to the left good spelling could require us to spell separate with an a actually with two prudence requires us to get regular dental exams um similarly we use the word must not only in moral context but in non-moral context as well she's saying like you must read hegel you must see the new al madover film uh you must uh, visit venice before it sinks into the sea right okay but she's saying like the weird thing about these uses is that they have this hypothetical structure what Kant called a hypothetical imperative it's kind of a conditional claim right so like if you want to conform with the rules of etiquette, then you should pass the port to the left, right? If you want to be prudent, you should uh, get regular dental exams. But she thinks that uh, 
she thinks that that is too weak, I guess, for, for a moral system. Um, she says, it is tempting to express this point by saying that when we claim that X is morally required, we do not mean to say morality requires X, as we might say etiquette requires Y, or that good spelling requires Z. Rather, we mean to say that we require X on moral grounds or for moral reasons. But who are we and on what authority are we able to require anything? Um, so that's I take it that she's saying there that like we're not comfortable with saying this like weird like hypothetical claim where we just say like if you want to be a moral person then to do that you must do the things that are obligatory right like don't don't murder people don't murder innocent people but it's almost like you could like she's she kind of mentioned like an earlier paragraph of like certain values like i understand how it's like weaker but she says like mm -hmm. specific values right like i mean this wouldn't you know this might play for us, but not for a Trump supporter, but you might say that, like, I, I could say like, okay, like, you know, if you like value like another's like kind of like emotional well-being, mm. you should use their pronoun, right? You ought mm. to use their pronoun, right? Mm. Like, and that wouldn't, maybe that's not an issue for you because like, you know, maybe it's an inconvenience for you, but you do value kind of like their emotional well-being so yeah, it's like overridden by other things yeah exactly yeah. exactly like if if that is if you do value this then you will do that mm -hmm. that that's like that that construction makes sense to me but like i understand how it's a lot weaker because like if you turn to like a trump supporter it's like if you value this and they're like yeah. i don't <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like I don't. Then, then yeah. it's like then, then it's over you know what i mean like mm -hmm. i understand that to an yeah. extent but um and then she she'll push back and she says like okay but we want to say that like they still should do it so she's yes. like okay so where yes. does that come from yeah yes yeah. okay okay she made, I, it, I understand that now yeah, yeah. no she so just really she wants the utility that she decides comes from like a social element to obligation which is also weird like okay is that in conflict with what she was talking about with moral saints like it almost it, there. I, I don't. Really I need to reread it to actually. I'm not sure. Yeah, may, I got maybe, I got vibes, but I I got nothing much more than vibes at the moment. Maybe I should just raise that as like a potential question and leave it at that. Um, because that might be too much, honestly, for us, because we're just trying to understand this paper first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I still have some more questions about this paper too. So. Yeah, <laughs> with, with, yeah. with moonbrain all of a sudden, just like <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, okay. So here's here's okay. Let me just. Okay, let me let me read a few. This is moving on to the next because okay, there are these five reasons. Um, okay, she says there's five reasons. Let me just read this for a second. Mm. To say one is morally required to do something in this sense would imply that all things considered, you should do it in a situation. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to read an introductory an introductory quote first. Okay, listen to this. Yeah. If understanding moral obligations as those practical claims that are required by morality or the moral point of view is not strong enough to capture the normative force of the concept of obligation, exactly what we just said, what if it's too weak? It may be more promising to think of moral obligations as requirements of reason, or more precisely, as requirements of reason in cases in which moral considerations are decisive. Okay, so she's floating this question. She said, like, okay, we want to tell the Trump supporter, you should 
like conform to this obligation. She's asking why, and she's floating this suggestion. Well, maybe it's because there are requirements of reason, or more precisely, requirements of reason in cases in which moral considerations are decisive. Okay, right? So yeah, she continues, to say that one is morally required to do something in this sense would imply that all things considered, you should do it in a situation in which the salient reasons for this judgment are ones of a moral sort. Uh, however, it would be a mistake to identify this use with the moral, with the concept of morally obligatory, insofar as the latter's connection to the appropriateness of social pressure and of blame towards others is to be retained and preserved. I will offer five reasons mm -hmm. why. Okay, so she's saying like, okay, so we're, this is how I'm taking it at least, we're within the purview of a no command theory. So there's no one who's issuing these commands. She's asking yes. like, okay. Where do they come from, given that we want these commands to be like in existing in existence, right? So that she's floating the idea, maybe they come from the force of reason. Like it is rational. You must comply with like rationality in some sense to like hold these things up. And now she's going to talk about five reasons why she thinks that this theory is a weak one for moral obligation. Is that how you're understanding this too? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, so let's talk about the reasons. because of the relation yeah. to social pressure, mm -hmm. which she so thinks it has seems like, like a there's power. a trade-off, right? Yes, yes. So here, here are the five reasons we can. I, I have them summarized a little bit. We can talk about them. Okay, so first, she says it can be extremely difficult to know what one has decisive reason to do, and to be honest, I thought that this was again. This is like she's not wrong to raise this, but. This is kind of like a non-core epistemic concern, right? Like, like I, my thinking was, okay, what grant that like grant better epistemic access to what one has decisive reason to do, then does it hold, right? Like kind of get yeah. more at the core of it, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So here's the second reason then. She says, it is not clear that this puts us in a position to legitimately stand in judgment on him or to issue blame. So she thinks that someone just having decisive reasons to do something doesn't clearly put us in a legitimate place to stand in judgment with respect to him. And I, I kind of, that's one that I balk at a little bit. At least I have like conflicting intuitions about it. Like, I don't let, know. Let me, let, me, let me read that whole sentence again there. Okay. Just because I, I think yeah, the yeah. beginning of that sentence is important. Okay. So even if we do know that another person has decisive moral reason to do something, mm. okay, so we know they have a decisive moral reason, mm. it is not clear that this, that this puts us in a position legitimately to stand in judgment on him or to mm. issue blame. You know what? I changed my mind, actually, because I'm thinking about, well, maybe you guys can answer this better than I can, but like, okay, go back to my example, like my real life example with my car. I do have the ability to not drive it because I could sell it and buy it. But to be honest, like I don't blame myself. Like I don't judge myself for doing that. Do you guys? No. If I was in your position, you mean? Or no, judge no, no. You? But yeah, do you actually judge me? Don't worry, no. Giffen, I can take it. <laughs> I think yeah, but I don't think it's a harsh judgment, you know? Like I okay. I recognize that in like myself. So it's like I'm not gonna be okay, you know. <laughs> The, the devil over here by, by association well like, no I, don't don't make it like a comparative claim you know what i mean because like it, just say like flat I guess out I was trying for to me yeah 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 i, but I'm, I yeah. would i would incorporate that into my judgment of you yes okay interesting 
that's kind of interesting that you have both like different intuitions about that. I, yeah, I don't know. I guess just cause like, um, I don't know. I guess I have just like a different social expectation in a sense mm-hmm. where I guess it does come kind of back to like social where it's like, that isn't something like I demand of myself or others. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying you view it it as a failing that you don't view that as an obligation to yourself or others. Like, is that inconsistent with some moral framework of yours? Like to an extent? Yes. Because it's like, I, it comes down to like, if you like, you know, if you value the environment, like, and it's within your capability to, you know, have a fuel efficient car, you know, then you should have a fuel efficient car, Yeah. you know, to an extent, yeah. but I don't know. I, it, uh, it doesn't, I, I just don't kind of blame anyone for, for not having that, I suppose. So, but I mean, it, it might change if I entered a group of people who were like <laughs> hyper fixated on the environment True. and suddenly like my own perspective might shift and I might feel like, I might almost feel like they have like a more legitimate um, reason to be resentful of me <laughs> given the new group that I'm in. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I kind of, I kind of yeah. do see that. I don't know. And it could also. I feel like change. I'm leaning yeah. towards the reasoning element here. It's like I. I do they okay, have so so you're leg- sa- yeah. Ju- I'm just that. making sure. So your 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 intuition is telling you that if someone has decisive moral reasons to do something, then that puts you in a position to legitimately judge or blame them. That is what you're saying. Yes, okay. but I will. I I think I would still want to preserve some like magnitude mm. spectrum of blame. If that yeah. makes sense, you know, I'm not going to be too harsh on you, Jordan. Don't worry. <laughs> well, no. Yeah. But that, but that makes sense though. Like if I was do, like, if the car was way worse or something, like if it was just actively like destroyed, like you could, you could track how much the ozone was destroyed by every time I stepped <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, car. Yeah. Yes, yes. yeah. You'd be a criminal at that yes, point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. There. But so in this case, yeah. we grant that we know it is. It's a low stakes, know, low blame, but you're saying, but you are still there saying is blame. like, but they're okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is basically my, my take, my intuition at least. Yeah. I, I guess like the, the reason why I grant her point is because all she's saying is like, it's not clear that this puts us in a position to legitimately plan. Cause it's like, cause to be honest, I do yeah. have the intuition that you have given, but the problem is I also have the intuition that Adam has for like varying cases. So then if all she's trying to do there is say like, it's not clear, then I have to agree with her. I think that's fair enough, actually, because, you know, um, I'm only kind of declaring like an intuition match there. Yeah. Yeah. So it, is it like perfectly clear? Is it holding up to like some sure, supreme sure. reason? Like, no, we're kind of. Exploring yeah. That, so. Yeah. Of fair course. Enough, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, OK, so here's OK. I, I felt like it had something to do with the third reason also, mm-hmm. because she says, OK, third failures to do what one has decisive reason to do in cases in which the salient reasons are non-moral do not result in the kind of guilt and blame appropriate to breaches of moral obligation nor should they okay so she's drawing an analogy here she's saying like there are there can be decisive reasons to do things in non-moral cases but when you do not do those you again it's like you're also failed to be met with the type of guilt uh, from yourself or blame from other people. Um, and 
I don't know, like, again, it's like I, I have both intuitions because like, I, <laughs> like, I don't know, I do kind of blame people for like, um, here, here's the thing, like, I definitely blame myself uh, for lapses of non-moral like reasoning character yeah in a sense that are like non yeah yeah just like yeah like not not going to the gym eating like a big old frosty like there's like you have like decisive reasons to i know not do I that know. and to do otherwise but and and like i do like obviously you guys know this like i get furious with myself when i've just been a little piggy piggy for no for no reason like yeah yeah it's so stupid like it it's like nothing <laughs> makes me just like loathe myself more yeah yeah so i actually this is one of the sections i highlighted in red which i used to symbolize disagreement because i was like i definitely do that <laughs> yeah and it's also like i also do just like look down on people for better or worse when like they have those failings too it's like like i don't know when if adam came to us and he was just like he was just like i i did something that made no sense whatsoever to do and he was just like repeatedly doing that. Both of us at a certain point, like, dude, like get a hold, like get a hold of yourself. Like you know, you want it, it, yeah. it, it, and it's almost like I, I think like it just kind of goes back to like her first point, which is like, okay, yeah, we're not gonna like assign blame per se, or like, or you know, I guess what did she use here? Result in a kind of guilt and blame, you know, for things that are like where the decisive um mm. what is it moral obligation or yeah decisive moral or deci reason. yeah decisive reason <sighs> just decisive reason in general like yeah. like that when that's unclear like we would never kind of like assign you know blame sure, or sure. Like yeah. failing yeah. on someone else like it's mm -hmm. like okay like do i you know i suddenly get tickets for like a steelers game coming up mm. but then i've also got like you know like my brother's birthday <laughs> and it's like and like they align perfectly and it's well, just like the, they, the problem is you could call that a moral question there you know what i mean okay true true or something like um this car versus that car you know what i mean like it's, it's just it's, it's just the it's, exact that's thing not clear at all yeah, you know what i mean yeah, especially from yeah. my perspective it's not clear yes. so it's like ah oh, well environmental you impact the same and everything yeah. that's safety. yeah like the, like the decisive yeah. reason wasn't clear but but in other cases like it can be dead clear you know what i mean where yeah. it's just like that seems like a failing on your part to and th and that's it like it goes back to like me and my car in real life example i have decisive reasons like not non-moral reasons right like just prudential reasons um and i don't do it and i don't feel bad about it like i don't like oh like giffen do you still have the like do you still like okay take the moral reasons out of it for a second there are like purely prudential non-moral reasons for me to sell that car and get a newer car. Like I'll just name two, for instance, like namely I could make money on, yeah. on the endeavor. And then, and then two, like I would save money going forward because I could get a cheaper, more efficient car. So those are like non-moral reasons. Yeah. Those right? are good non-moral reasons. Yeah. So if, and they're if decisive. You could, if like, I could, if they are decisive, like if you grant that, then yes, that's, that's the basis for judgment in my mind. Really? Because, See, because you granted that they're decisive. Now in okay. reality, okay. I have no idea if they are like, you made it just like, yeah, yeah, have, like yeah. an aesthetic value in which case like that would compete with those other reasons you gave. But if once you tell me that it's decisive, I'm like, yes, what are you doing? You clown. You said it was decisive. 
see, see, I guess this is why I was thinking about this in the context of like the moral saints, like plurality aspect, because like, okay, I guess is the question here, like, do other values get baked into whether it's decisive or not? Or can you have like a decisive set of reasons that then are just trumped by like some other value? That's what I wrote down actually, because I wasn't sure if like um, decisive implied like all things considered, out compete everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that down. Like I was writing that before, and I missed one of your um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Comments. So that I mean, if I take that to be like what decisive means, so like if you know it, like out compete everything, and you don't do it, I'm like, yes, I'm going to be willing to assign blame. Yeah. Even if it's for non-moral reasons, that may be like kind of incorrect of me to do so, but I yeah. at least that's my intuition. Once no, you uh, grant that. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, okay, after this, I'm going to try to go golfing. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's like, are there decisive reasons to actually not go golfing? Prudentially speaking? Yes. I could get the same workout. I could even get a better workout if I just biked to the gym and then ran on the treadmill. Right. I could also save money. If I do that, I could like all, all these reasons. Right. But so, okay, here's the question, like, but, but my response to those reasons is, okay, but I want to go golfing. Like there are still, there are yeah. still going to be like good thing. Like I'm still going to get a workout. Like I'm you still don't know to... if it's decisive and certainly we don't. Well, no, that's what I'm like, kind of like imagining. Okay. So you are baking, like even my desire to go golfing and like my satisfaction of being able to like get better as like, yeah. that's baked into the calculus for you. Well, I mean, once you grant, it has to be. Yeah, because otherwise it's not really decisive in that sense, right? Decisive in my mind is kind of meaning like yeah, it is yeah. like the decision to make. Okay. Counting four things. If that See, makes I, I don't know if that's the way she views it, though, actually. that That's my question is like, okay, because there's another framing you could have where it's like prudentially, this is decisive reasoning, right? But then I could say, I just don't care what's prudent in this like circumstance mm. because I want to go golfing. And, and I don't know, like, because here, okay, like, I'm just thinking about this out loud. Like, the, like the problem with the first way of framing it is um. the incommensurability issue that she was raising before, right? Like you're trying to, like, reduce everything to a single value, and we all kind of seem to have the intuition that that's not always possible. Okay, um, so I, I'm sorry, I had to write something else down. So it seems like... The, I don't know how you framed it before, but I guess there is a difference between saying like I have decisive, decisive prudential reasons not to versus I have decisive non-moral reasons kind of expands the scope of the claim. That's I didn't even I didn't even question. What true. You said. Are we, are we understanding remember. decisive as like sufficient to like determine decision? Yes. Yes. OK. At least like and I guess the question that we are now discussing is like, is that within could you have like decisive reasons within many different frameworks or can you only have just like can a reason either just be like all things considered decisive or not i think there has I, to I, I, I could say you could have multiple decisive reasons right yeah. like i that's my understanding of what she was saying was that, that makes like, sense you, to you me. could you could have like a decisive reason like morally but then there might be non-decisive non-moral yeah. decisive reasons yeah wait, wait, yes these could all absolutely. result in decision but like yeah. you know i i mean and the moral saints paper actually discusses like the relationship between like the scope of non-moral reasons and mm -hmm. the moral reasons yeah yeah whether like, there should like be jordan, a dominance an absolute dominance in that hierarchy mm -hmm. like jordan's car like it's just an awesome car 
like and, yeah. and so like i mean like it's, it's, it's a good aesthetic the, reason yeah, 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 almost. it's, it's, one, of the, it's purely... one of the coolest cars i've ever seen so it's like <laughs> it, so it's like okay i mean that's certainly a non-moral decisive reason for yeah. keeping the car but then there's a decisive moral reason like that it affects the environment but certainly one wins out over the other so yeah. it is the yeah. only one decisive ultimately because that's the one that acted that you know was the decision kind of um dependent reason or i don't know i i almost like the framing of saying there there are decisive reasons on at two but but probably more at least two axes there yeah and, and it's not I, I, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm convinced that you can't say that there is like an overall decisive reason to do it because it's like, but I'm going to choose which of those decisive reasons that I act <laughs> upon, right? Like I'm going to do that. And like in this case, Sartre, yeah, yeah, I like that a lot, yeah. actually. Um, it, you can't really say there's overall without kind of implying there that you've already established a relationship between those different axes. Yeah, which like I do kind of agree with her that like some things honestly like intuitively just are incommensurable. Like you just can't bo- like how do you weigh like one unit of aesthetic like value versus one unit of like environmental? Or- yeah, it's yeah. Just, like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, would, would, would that lend it to... Uh like that viewpoint to Giffen's earlier point, which is that within a moral framework, you're blameworthy. <laughs> but, but, but that, but that, but like, you know, overall, yeah. like uh, it's quite understandable. So it would lend itself to that, <laughs> which might be true, actually. Towards like, like, maybe I put my catalytic converter back on, but it, yeah, because you're not, you're not, because you're not trying to like achieve moral sainthood as his wolf <laughs> yeah. said, but mm-hmm. like, but you're definitely not achieving moral perfection. Like, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, so yeah. I don't know. Um, so, so, so I think, okay. So I think, I think the answer to that question depends on whether you think that like decisive moral reasons, because remember, there's still the question of like, is the command due to decisive moral reasons or is it due to like social pressure or is it due to like a divine, like, Mm. you know, being or whatever. So like you could still say, I think we've opened the door to being able to say you could be morally obligated to do something and just choose differently. And then you would be morally blameworthy, even though it's not like a, even though like for lack of a better term, the, the decision could be understandable, all things considered. Yes. 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 I think that's a fair framing. Yeah. Okay. Um, can, can should we mention the fourth and fifth reasons and then because yes. I, I don't remember if I thought sure. these were crazy interesting or not. Yeah, we can gr- glance over them. I didn't yeah. have any notes on them. Right, let me let me read them just to refresh my own memory. Okay. So she says a fourth reason for not identifying what one has decisive moral reason to do with what one can be appropriately punished or blamed for 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 not doing is that in the absence of publicly expressed social expectations, a person may not know what she has decisive moral reason to do, which like that, that seems to be pretty grantable. Yeah. Um, Like one, one of the reasons why you have decisive moral reasons to do something is precisely because of the, you know, like society that you're in. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. Fifth. And finally, there is a range of cases in which my intuitive judgments about what one has decisive moral reason to do and about, reasons to do and about what is morally obligatory come apart and we've already granted that like 10 times to sunday because that that's like you know what she uh that that's what we were just talking about with like the decoupling okay okay all right so 
we still got a good bit of paper actually well i maybe not in the sense we, that we, we kind of jumped around we, we, we talked about the suv case already but let me okay let me regroup for a second okay so okay so so we've all expressed like in the past you know 10 minutes or whatever we kind of talked ourselves into thinking that there might be better reasons than wolf grants to aligning maybe not decisively but like aligning with a no command theory right maybe yeah, yeah we, maybe. we're at least like i think we, we've all like opened that door a little bit to ourselves so I think now we need to discuss, so we need to skip then to the section called the social command theory revisited. Mm. And I think we need to discuss why she actually values the social command theory, right? Because that is, that's kind of like the last section that, sh- that we haven't covered yet. Okay. Yeah. I was already there actually. Okay. So. Nice. Which right. I give, given what page? <laughs> Excuse me. This is um, page 14 of 24. Okay. Okay. So within this section, let's feel free to skip around, but I'll say that one thing that I I tried to remember while reading this is again, so it's not about the content of the moral theory at hand. It's about whether a social command theory is better than a no command theory. So that's the question at hand right now. Um, So I think here's the way that I kind of like summarize this entire section in my mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she's saying like, Okay, so because it's not about the content, right? She's asking the rhetorical question like, okay, given a society and a set of reasons that both equally say to do X, we don't care what X is, and X to the same degree, right? So they're saying do this, do this to a certain degree, and both society and the set of reasons are are saying with equal force to do X and to do X to a certain degree, right? Then the question is like remaining which way of demanding X of saying it's obligatory is stronger. Mm. And I think in this section, like Wolf does make a compelling case that the social command is going to be stronger than just like decisive reasons for saying you must do X to a certain degree. Is that like, do you guys have any quibbles with at least like how I'm framing the section? No, I, I actually, I agree with what was said there. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, okay. So what reasons does she give for, for valuing the social command theory? Um, okay. Here's the first one that I, th- this is kind of lower on that page. She seemed to be saying like, there's something valuable in the idea that when you fail to perform an obligation, that you're failing someone like you're not just kind of failing in general but like it's more powerful to frame it as like and to believe it as you are failing someone yeah can i read that line here uh, sure yeah um so as adam's uh remarks made clear no such problem arises for theories that identify moral obligations with social requirements or commands in those theories, a failure to discharge one's obligations constitutes a disruption of social relations, a breaking of faith or of allegiance with one's society. It is easy to understand how this can appropriately lead to guilt in those who care about being on good terms with their society and anger or criticism on the part of those who identify with a society that has been ignored or defied. Mm. So this seems like. I don't know. How should I frame this? 
I don't know. Was that was that like a, a useful quote? No, no, it That's was. I have, like, I mean, I, it's just I, hard I, to like parse her like her underlying. No, no, I think she's. Me. I think she's saying like she's saying like okay, look, there's something like there's something real about the idea that when you fail a society, like there's a group of people who you are failing. And that's more powerful than just like failing to that than failing like rationality in general or yeah. something. Is that right? more is that more powerful just practically? Like, is it an observation that humans will resp- respond more to that and engage in appropriate, like more desired behavior more frequently? Like, I'm I, not sure the I level think of her so. claim there. That's like, what I gather, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I think like a like the word like appropriate is a pretty good word like in that paragraph where it's like you that. know like 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 yeah oh yeah you did my bad my bad yeah so um but no, no no you did you did, you did. so I, I was just Pavlovian conditioned there to recognize that that was the important word <laughs> but, that's true yeah yeah but I mean mm. it's just like especially when it comes to like guilt or blame. I mean, it comes down to like, it's, these are more appropriate concepts when it's like, you know, interpersonal, right? Like yes. these are, these are social yeah. relations. So there's an mm. appropriateness to these emotions. So. Yeah. yeah. Like almost drawing from her, the importance of free will stuff. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, and, yeah. And I, I'm also noticing, like, I'm also noticed, well, we will later in the course. Um, mm. Yes. Um, uh, shit, what was I going to say? Oh, like, okay. I noticed, I noticed like in both of these last papers, like she, she is um, sort of unabashedly, she's placing, she's placing like a lot of value also on like kind of what works for lack of a better sense. Like she, she's, she's like, I've, I noticed that she doesn't, she doesn't seem to want to endorse a moral theory that could be the most sort of like internally consistent, most parsimonious, whatever, right? If it just like doesn't map on to how the world works. Um, yeah, that is an underlying thread that I identified as well. Like she, it's yeah. very practical. She says like, we, you know, we want to, you know, kind of inform other people's decisions. We want <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's almost like there's like a bit of underlying pragmatism almost. No, th- yeah. I, I, I mentioned the practicality and I'm like, is that what is like, she's basically yeah. under like underlying all this. Is that like, what is that what powerful means? Just like it will result in, you know, more, you know, conformity or like better practical results. Is that like what it is? in the end like i'm not if, if there's something deeper than that or adjacent to that i'm not sure but like, like that's I, what underlies it for me yeah because like wolf wolf really values intuition and doesn't want to like throw the baby out with the bath water and it's mm. just like okay like maybe there's something worth preserving in some of our intuition rather than just saying like you know ultimately you know <laughs> who deserves blame or you know <laughs> why feel guilt and it's like okay i mean ultimately like you know there may be like no reason whatsoever, but like, yeah. is there a certain something, sense? Yeah. Is there something in a certain sense worth preserving here? So mm. is there like a philosophical kind of basis for it? So I think yeah. that's, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. it's a use. I think it's fair to say that she thinks it's a useful institution, like the idea of like social obligation like this. Yeah. Or yes. moral obligation yes. specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I also feel like she would be unsatisfied with basing it merely in that, though. 
that, no, that's what i get the yeah, vibe yeah. of but like I, it, it, I can't articulate anything it's, it's no, merely I impressions i know uh, no we, that that again that might that might be something that we should just kind of keep in mind for for more episodes because we're, we're going to be yeah. continuing with like value theory the um, more we read from her maybe that will backfill in like um, yeah yeah what because we had a little bit of um that because we've read one paper before yeah well, two papers before this and i think we were able to fill in some but especially if she if she's just pumping out like 20 pagers like you know they'll fill in each other maybe we will they, get the they, answers eventually they will. Yeah, they will yeah 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 they might uh okay should we <laughs> they, they might <laughs> they, they, were like, they will they will they might, they might. all right move on <laughs> um should should we conclude by okay i don't i don't remember exactly what i thought about she, she kind of to conclude this section she she um she talks about like the two most serious objections to social command theory. And then she kind of, you know, argues against those to preserve it. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> so, okay. So uh, I don't know what page this is for you, but halfway down um, it's the social command theory revisited is that page, then another page, then the third page it's halfway down that for me. What is the, yeah. yeah, how does the paragraph start? Let us then bracket. But it's not that sentence. Um, oh. It's in that paragraph. She says, on the one hand, it appears... Page that- 17. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm on there. Found it. On the one hand, it appears that societies have sometimes demanded, in the guise of moral obligations, actions that were not, in fact, morally obligatory. They have demanded that people refrain, for example, from homosexual activity and masturbation, and that they refrain from sexual activity altogether outside the confines of marriage. Worse, it seems that societies have sometimes demanded that its members actively harm people who are in one way or another regarded as outsiders. Okay, so this can be summarized as like, Here's a problem with social command theory. Some societies have had like the wrong obligations, actually. Like (laughs) some societies suck. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The other uh, problem is summarized a few sentences later. She says, on the other hand, some societies have failed to recognize as morally obligatory what many would say are our actual obligations. So this one is like missing the, the true obligations. So there's like two sides of the coin. You can either like actively endorse the wrong obligations and you can fail to see the correct one. So those are two yeah, She problems. calls them false positives and false negatives, which I thought was that's very right. useful, at least that's for right. me. No, that's, that that's, that's right. Yeah. So. False. Yeah. False positives, false negatives. Great. Um, okay. So how does she respond to those? Bas- basically, I recall her, maybe I'm wrong about this, but she kind of responds to them both in the same manner where she says like, um let me find it she says okay uh, did did you have something more specific Ethan? i mean i was gonna i wanted to talk about the genocide paragraph because okay, that to sure. me was something that i found a little bit objectionable um because she seems to the like paragraph or genocide <laughs> for some reason she's objectionable to genocide let's, yeah. let's discuss no let's no. Yeah. <laughs> So the, she, the fire in his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> There's a thumbnail for Drop the yeah. atom bomb. <laughs> yeah. No, because yeah. um, so I, I just need to remember, because it's a couple pages down or like one or one and a half, and okay. I'm like not sure under which kind of um question that Ooh. is housed in. So okay. I, I was hesitant to jump down, but I do want to talk about that. No, no, no go for it. it, yeah. It basically, like, I this from what I can remember, um, I don't want to try to read through and 
square it, but you guys can give me your impression. <clears throat> she basically, it, like, you know, one of the objections is like some broadly is some societies suck. And she basically says like, well, here's like, um, let's discuss like uh, a. Um, is this the morally horrific behavior without bad faith or hypocrisy? She's saying like a society that just like at their core believes in this. Is that what you're talking I about? I think before that, this is before. Okay. Yeah, a little before. Okay. So I'm on, okay. I don't have your page numbers, Jordan, but I'm on no, page. No, 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 it's okay. Just, just, the just next summarize page. it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so basically, um, I'll read the end of the previous paragraph. According to social command theory, it appears that members of such societies had no obligation to refrain from participating in genocide. But it, this seems a reductio ad absurdum. Any theory that fails to recognize genocide as morally intoler intolerable has to be wrong. And then she said, before accepting this argument, it is worth examining whether, and if so, in what kind of case, a social command theory would have such an implication. So she's basically exploring, like, is this an implication? Oh, th this says, is, has yes. there ever been in a society that has not regarded genocide as morally forbidden? And I'm like, I, I thought that yes. was yeah. I thought this was like pretty weak argument. Actually, it was. I, I this is the only place I highlighted in red. I was like, this is a, <laughs> a yes, a, almost certainly. Like maybe like I'm just like, you know, completely off base here. But intuition wise, I was like almost certainly. Well, like, here, okay, so here's the weird thing because she's like, okay, I feel like she's not being particularly explicit about this, but she's almost like, okay, she's almost saying something along the lines of like. If you're solely grounded in like social command theory, then you have no place really to like, then, then how could you say genocide is wrong if you grant a society that like down to their core, uh, like what I read was kind of like a re-upping of this point, almost like an intensification of it. She's saying like, okay, like what about a society that just like at its core believed that genocide was like a moral thing to do potentially. Yeah. And she, she's like, okay, I, I thought she almost said something like, well, if like the social command is the only thing we have to stand on, then I don't see how we can say that's wrong. But what you just read about the reductio ad absurdum seems to be like, okay, well, social command is like grounded within like the idea that that society does have to believe roughly the correct things. Right. She like, yeah, but she's I mean, not explicit about it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I need to kind of maybe reread this, but yeah, like, yeah I, I, really I read and I did a double take. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, I do think, especially if we were based on a previous um, point we were talking about earlier, if we can decide this define society a little bit more loosely to include like mm -hmm. subgroups. Absolutely. One million percent. Like this is mm -hmm. a like practical consideration, which you'd think she'd be a little bit more concerned about addressing. But anyways. I mean, I kind of do understand her point to an extent of just like how it might not be a good fit to try to map like this, you know, uh, social command theory onto like, you know, societies that, you know, lived like maybe like a thousand or two thousand years ago, just given the fact that, um, you know, their values, they didn't hold the same values we do now. Mm. So yeah. it's so it's like, OK, in that case right there from our perspective we would say okay if that type of person lived in society now yeah. like okay like yeah. they they would not be i mean they, they would have certain obligations they would not have had yeah. so it, it's almost like it's not a one-to-one -one match and she sense. and she and she buttresses that point with something that caught me off guard in that i've always done this and i never realized 
But she says, like, when you hear about atrocities that happened thousands of years ago, you're never morally indignant at them. You're always just curious at like how that could have happened or like you, you never you never view that person as like immoral. You always just say like, wow, like uh, you kind of you want to like learn more about the historical context. You're never like this is a monster. Really? It's I think we can do that. <laughs> But to be honest, like I, if what this she's top, like, I'm in between you guys right like now. Hitler is like, huh, very curious. No, but again, but the problem is like that's way too recent in the yeah. sense that like, okay, yeah. she, she she gives the Genghis example. Khan, then you know, Genghis to Khan. Be, yeah, to be honest, like whenever I hear, like I listen to that like hardcore history series, yeah. About, and to be honest, I I never felt like morally indignant about that. It like okay, which is not saying I don't think it's wrong. Like obviously, right. But like her point is that like, wow, okay, there is actually something like, for lack of a better word, it's like, it's almost more understandable that he acted in the way he did, given that like there was not the social obligations put on him that we would have today or he would have placed on him if he lived today. Do you know I don't I mean? know. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. But I'm not sure if that's something that like I'm okay with. Like, I think. The fact that it's more understandable, given like the vast different social context makes it more obvious to us. I don't know if that makes it prevents me from being morally indignant, just purely on an intuition level. Like, do, do you actually like whenever you hear it, like to just just flat out descriptively, I'm not morally indignant. I do. I think I'm a bit. Yeah, I think you phrased it very well, yeah. Jordan, and that's how she would respond, maybe. Yeah. But but honestly, like, yeah, like when I hear about like Christopher Columbus, like, you know, literally like cutting off the, the ears of like the Native Americans, like the Tainos, yeah. like the Tainos. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I mean, that, I mean, it just that like, one's the, so tough, too, because it's like a white European man against like indigenous. Jordan's people. like, I'm yeah, not but, willing to be morally indignant to my own race. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I'm saying that's like, like one of the no, it's like the opposite. Yeah, but it's just like, okay, did he have the same social obligations? No. Yeah. No, the same social moral obligations. No. No, not at all. But there really is something visceral about that behavior that is just yeah. like, are we are we fully capturing it with just the social obligations? Like, you know, yeah. I don't think that fully captures it. Like he was, you know. I don't know. I definitely like, think the magnitude is different between like viewing about someone doing something like today, like, you know, somewhere, you know, in East Asia, like some genocide or something like, okay, that like, I'm going to react to that differently than like looking at it from a historical framework. But I'm just not sure, like, I'm not sure if that like rash, like if that is that okay for me to do? I'm not sure. Like, maybe yeah, I, I mean, should be more morally indignant towards these people in the past. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, because it because the thing is like okay, say everybody was wicked five hundred years ago, right? And and this and this is just like the behavior that everybody engaged in with like no remorse, and there was like and like in fact like society like endorsed it, right? Mm. Then it's like okay, I think I'm more on like wolf side at that point, but it's like okay, no, there there were good people. Yes. in those in those societies like people we would call good now <laughs> yeah you know yeah. what i mean so yeah so it's like i'm gonna expand yes. my definition of society to encompass people in the past and then have the ground to morally blame them <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's just like it's like okay were they socially 
kind of like endorsed in that good behavior? No, they might have even been condemned. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't know. I there's certainly an element of the social obligation and, with all this, but it, it doesn't I capture know. it fully for me. What, and the weird thing is, like, it doesn't seem to capture it fully for Wolf either. But then she's not like, I, I don't know because because she like. I thought it was congruent with her view that she would still want to say, like, I, I think she said this like outright somewhere. She's like, okay, we still want to be able to say that like those people were like, were moral people, but it can't be on the grounds of what like the social command was. So it's like, it, it almost seems like she was implying like, okay, like the social command is like this layer over top of something else. And it's, it's not a trivial layer. Right, because it like actually yeah. matters, but yeah, like, of course, yeah. But but then, so maybe we're just like maybe the next paper is going to show us like what's underneath that then or something. It's yeah, just, I hope yeah. it does because this is really interesting. Like, yeah, we we are I think all left with like a little bit of questioning about like, e- yeah, like even what definitely. wolf means. But like, I think these are really valuable things to bring up. Like, I like her question begging. Like, yeah, definitely. I also think it's a pretty decent framework. Like, I just think yeah. that there are like serious questions like that that can be posed where it's like. You know, I, you know, can we, I, or would it have been appropriate for, you know, Christopher Columbus to feel guilt for what he did in that time period when, you know, society at large did not condemn it? Maybe even say like his, his, his peer group or his social group, like didn't, didn't condemn mm. it. Would that have been an appropriate emotion for him? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I would say so. I would say that would be appropriate. Or it would be appropriate to blame him during that time period. Someone Mm. in that time period saying, like, look at what you did, you monster. Even if 99% of people were like, you know, in fact, we endorse that behavior. I don't know. Which which is kind of showing support more for the no command theory, given that you're going to like say you want to blame him and it's go- the only place you can look is decisive moral reasons because like you can't you specifically in that instance can't look to uh the social com- like command because the social command would have okayed it yeah, actually yeah, yeah i it, this is like a total thought that popped in my head but if she's gonna like it seems like we are kind of all in like um somewhat agreement if she's gonna talk about like um social command theory and say like if the reasons are mostly just practical that practical is actually like the practicality there is also has that weird conditional of like, if you endorse like the moral values there. And that seems kind of like odd. Like if you already grant like an agreement with like the moral values, then like there's a lot of utility into like the obligation framework, but like mm. in, in net, yeah, you yeah, kind yeah. Of grant a lot of moral value spectrum, especially over time is the idea of like the obligation, like a net positive. I'm not sure. Like in a practical lens, yeah, I don't know if that was coherent, but I don't know. I, I think that at least this paper really allows you to kind of self-reflect um, and it is reflect an on others. Paper. Yeah, oh, I, so again, oh, yeah. I, I love the paper. paper. Yeah. yeah, this is my I, favorite wolf paper yeah. so far. I'm willing to re-explore some of the previous ones as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm just left with more questions than answers with this one. To be honest, I'm kind of uh, yes. like, and, and maybe not in the best sense. I, <laughs> I love, love the paper, but it's more so like I'm not so sure about the paper. You know, yeah. like just because I there are a lot of lot of questions. So 
I'll yeah. have to maybe offline. I'll have to report back after Wednesday if I get yeah. any like clarifications about this stuff. That would yeah. be excellent. Yeah, I should I should dip back into it too because like yeah. Giffen because we had that quick turnaround. I mean, like I did spend three yeah, hours yeah. reading once through, so I, I did take time. It was but a thorough, yeah. thorough. Yeah, just it was a one read though. A thorough no, one read. That's what exactly I did, yeah. exactly. No, of yeah. course, of course. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely I'm much more satisfied though. I like this. Um, the the reordering that we did where we yes. discuss before i have the class yeah, yeah. Yes. that'd be hugely beneficial to you um yeah but i also think like the episodes are more enjoyable too to record like it's it's more fun to like be like okay i don't know what the fuck's going on at the beginning of the episode but like you know what i mean like let's figure yeah. it out that's true yeah. And like, um, b- like before you reread it, like before like your lecture, like these are all things that are going to be buzzing through your head. Like, yeah, you know, of course. You know, yeah. Just like, oh, what was Adam's point here? It said right here <laughs> on page 17 exactly yeah. how she addresses this. You know what yeah. I mean? But like, well, it's also <laughs> it'd be a good, good reread, though. Like, in that sense, yeah, so. no, it's true. It's, it's also it's always better to uh, like, you know, class time is precious. And it's always better to have like refined questions ready to go yes. than the initial questions ready to go. Because like it's a very for, practical way to do that yeah. for my own edification. Like I want to know the answers to my refined questions, not yes. my. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not like intuition kind of impressions. Yeah, I figure out like exactly where they clash or whatever, and then yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, nice. I don't remember off the top of my head the um, the next uh, essay that we'll be doing in the in the series, but it but it is. Um, it's in line with like moral theory in general. So it should be, hopefully it'll answer more questions. Um, cool. So, all right, well, I um, I hope that everyone's enjoying the series so far. I know I definitely am and uh, hope that people tune in next time. If you want to um, support the show in any way, you can do so simply by sharing it. I'm hoping to get this show out to more people. And so if you want to share it on Twitter or social media, that would really help me. Uh, You can also rate it on Apple Podcasts, like this video if you're watching on YouTube, or subscribe uh, via Apple Podcasts or an RSS feed. Or you can connect me with recommended guests or topics to cover. Uh, You can get in contact with me at Plato's Cave Podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Jordan underscore C underscore Myers. And I now have a website for my philosophy endeavors at jordanmyers.org. If you want to know a little bit more about me and my fellow co-hosts, I'm a master's student in philosophy at the University of Houston. I did my undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, where I studied mechanical engineering and philosophy. And now that I'm back at school, I'm hoping to more closely study moral responsibility, free will, ethics, epistemology, and moral psychology. Those are topics that I was introduced to and got really interested in in my undergrad work. Adam and Giffen accompanied me on this show, and Adam is one of my oldest friends. We actually met in kindergarten, and we've been interested in philosophical topics for as long as we can remember, and in a lot of ways, it's been the basis of our friendship. Adam studied chemistry and biology at Cornell, and he's especially interested in moral responsibility as well, but also law, religion, and free will. Giffen is also one of my oldest friends. We've been friends since elementary school as well. Giffen studied biology and economics at RPI, and now he works in human health research. And he's particularly interested in exploring political philosophy. With, uh, with all of that information, 
Again, I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you get in contact with me or or follow my work in any way that you deem reasonable to do. So with that, thank you for listening.